Welcome. It's great to have you all here. You know, thanks for joining us. You know, there's an ongoing debate about who's more intelligent. Is it rocket scientists or brain surgeons? Well, like I explained to my son when I was helping him fix his model rocket, I'm more intelligent than either now, so I'm a rocket surgeon. So, yeah, he wasn't very impressed either. So, Well, it's time to turn it over to someone who's even smarter than a rocket surgeon. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. We're going to talk about something really cool, echolocation. You know, hello, 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 right? When you yell and you hear it come back, how fast it comes back tells you about how far away something is. Maybe it's a wall or a cliff or a mountain or something, and the sound bounces off of it and comes back. And uh, the time it takes for the sound to travel to hit the wall and come back is what you're actually measuring, right? Well, it's actually the way that bats can see. And what I mean by see isn't with their eyes. They have eyes, but in the dark, they don't work very well. And so the bats will make those little teeny noises. And uh, the, a lot of times, a lot of bats will actually use ultrasound. They send out these little pulses, and they wait for the pulse to come back to their ears, and they can tell how far away things are, where the bugs are, and things to find them. Well, I want to talk about some new research to use echolocation to actually reconstruct an image like a camera. So it's almost like seeing with sound. A lot like the bats do, except these researchers found a way to do it with only one microphone. So it's like a bat with one ear. Remember, the bats use two ears to be able to tell which direction the sound is coming back on. And that's really, really useful in constructing an image. If you imagine sending out a sound, and it goes out and out and out and out, and then it bounces back from something right here, it's really hard to tell if it comes back here that it didn't come back from the other side the exact same distance. So those two waves would seem like the same thing with one microphone. But they figured out a way to untangle that. Let's take a closer look. If you look at this diagram, you can see their emitter. This is where they're making the sound and then collecting the response. And the sound goes out and bounces and comes back, and they measure that. But it also keeps bouncing around. And it comes and bounces off the back wall or bounces off the side wall and bounces all over the place and comes back to the receiver. Now, to most of us, that would just look like noise or kind of an echo sound in the room, you know. But they're able to take that information and use that to reconstruct the image. And that's what it actually is. There's a lot of entropy in that data of when the reflection comes back. So let's take a look at a diagram. You see up there at the top, those little pulses are the sound waves coming back, the reflection. You can see they come at different times and different intensities. And then if you look at the right there, there's a picture of the image that they got with their 3D camera. They have a special camera that measures in 3D, and that's not color, you see. The different colors are indicating how far away things are in the picture. So the lighter color means it's closer, and the darker color means it's further away. And uh, they used the colors to make it so we could see that. Usually you can't see distance, right? And then 
they used that reflection to reconstruct the images down below. You can see the first one was after one or two reflections, and it doesn't look at all like the actual image. And then the second and third, you start to actually see that shape coming through. So they're taking those reflections, bouncing off the wall, and reconstructing the image. And it's pretty hard to imagine how you go from that squiggly audio signal to actually reconstructing an image like that. And that's where the, the new research comes in. They used machine learning. Remember how machine learning works. You give a computer a bunch of data, and then you tell it what answer you wanted it to find from that data, even though it couldn't, and you have it train itself. And then you give it more data, and more data, and more data, and you keep training the machine algorithm until you put in the data and it gives you the response that you want, the, the result. So they put in the data from their 3D camera and that audio signal and trained their algorithm until they could put in that weird audio signal and actually get out an image, which is pretty amazing when you start to think about it. Now, they didn't just do this with sound, though. They, they did it with sound, and they used a conventional laptop. So they played the sound on the speakers on the laptop and used the microphone on the laptop to reconstruct an image, which is amazing because that means we could do it on your laptop or on a smartphone, anything with a speaker and a microphone. And then they also did it with RF signals. These are radio signals like um, what we would use for maybe Wi-Fi or our cellular signal. And they use that. Again, they send out an RF pulse and then they look at the reflections coming back and they reconstruct an image. And of course, uh, it doesn't really mean anything until you see it in action. So let's take a look. If you look at this diagram, the top shows the audio signal that they were looking at. The bottom shows the images. And on the far left, it's the image with only like one reflection. And then the next one over is more reflections and more and more. And then the far right is the actual camera image. So you can see how close it got to seeing the real thing. And remember, it's not color we're looking at, it's depth, okay? So I want you to notice as I run this, I'm gonna go ahead and start it, on the far left, it keeps jumping back and forth because it doesn't have enough information to know which side the guy was on. But then if you look right next to the final image, the ground truth, you can see it's very similar. So after all those reflections, they were able to make an image that is surprisingly accurate. Remember, this one was with RF, so that's the radio signals. Uh, now I want to show you the version with sound, and with sound, it's a little less resolution, a little uh, more blurry, but you can still see, again, it's really flickery with just one reflection, but it's very similar over on the far right, right by the ground truth, which is what they got from their camera. So they're reconstructing these images with nothing but a single input from a microphone. And, and, and of course, the reflections going out from the speaker. They have to be able to time how long it takes the sound to go out from the speaker and come back to the microphone. So what applications are they looking at? This could actually be used for a really affordable 3D camera for like um, monitoring for security. You would be able to detect if anyone was in the room and uh, even what's going on in the room, but it would be very, very affordable because really any device with a speaker and a microphone could do this kind of thing, or maybe an RF antenna. So it has a whole bunch of possibilities instead of putting a full-blown camera, 
that you could do. Also, you could use the same type of 3D technology for health monitoring in healthcare. For example, the hospitals could put this in the room with the patients and the 3D camera would actually be able to monitor the patient's breathing and see that they were breathing in and out and be able to detect whether they were okay. And so it has some really interesting applications in situations like that. Uh, it's really amazing that uh, they can do this kind of thing with just that teeny input. But you can imagine if they were to put in two microphones, then they would have higher entropy, they would have more data, and they could reconstruct even a better image. So um, this technology has a lot of possibilities. Now one catch is that they kind of have to know a little bit about the room. They have to know a little bit about the shape of the room, otherwise the reflections coming back would be uh, impossible to interpret. But they also are working on ways to detect the size and shape of the room and things like that so they can figure that out. This technology looks like it has a bright future, but maybe not with light, not that kind of bright, with sound, right? <laughs> but until then, we're just going to have to keep using old-fashioned light, aren't we? Oh, well, that's all the tech we have the time for. Now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. Well, I'm excited because tonight we're going to talk about a guy who changed the world with potential energy and kinetic energy. I thought you were going to say positive energy or something. No? We're going to learn about kinetic and potential energy. Now, you know, with science and discoveries and inventions of today, we just, we've got it so good, folks. I'm just telling you. I mean, I was sitting at the airport in New York, and the guy who's sitting by me, he's like looking all depressed. He's like, I just got off my flight, flew here from London, took over seven hours. It's too long. I just sat there thinking, you know, it used to take six weeks, <laughs> and you had to go by boat. Okay, and dodge pirates. Okay, that's a little different than flight attendants. You want a cookie? Okay. But there's a lot of things in the technology of today that we just take for granted in our everyday lives. And one of those is something called the elevator. And the elevator is something that, you know, is, is ridden by many, many people many times a day. And yet, way back before the elevator, things were very different. I mean, if you go to a fancy hotel or, you know, one of those big big skyscraper buildings with lots of floors, okay? If it's an office space or a hotel, you go in at the front desk and you're like, hey, can I get a room maybe up high, room with a view? You know, you're never like, you don't go in and say, hey, do you have any more rooms on one? Yeah, I want one looking right at the cars. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, we, don't, we only have rooms on one facing the highway. Oh, even better, yeah. There's nothing like traffic at 3 a.m. in the morning. No, okay, in fact, a lot of cases, the higher rooms can even cost more, okay, because those, those are the fancy ones. Well, it used to be backwards, okay? Back in the day, it used to be the expensive rooms were down on the bottom levels, and the higher rooms, like five stories, seven stories up, those are cheaper because you gotta walk the stairs all the way up to there. It's like a built-in gym, okay? But it was different, because, and seven stories, that was kind of like as high as they would build these buildings because if you got higher than that, people weren't going to walk all the way up there, okay? Bellboys were much more valuable, 
at the time, okay? But that's when we're going to talk about Elisha Otis. And he was a gentleman from Vermont, and he was very into mechanical engineering and did a lot of stuff with just tinkering with different tools, and he had a lot of different jobs. Well, he eventually got a big job to be a head mechanic at a new factory that they were going to build in New York. And so he actually got appointed to oversee the factory being put together. And one of the things that they were doing was they had an elevator. Now, elevator at the time was very different. It was not for people, but they would use it to move supplies and construction pieces up and down on different floors. And I mean, the idea of an elevator goes all the way back to Archimedes, of being able to use a rope and pulley system to raise things and get them higher instead of having to carry it all the way there. So they had an elevator system with where you could load it up and they'd pull a thing and it'd go up. And like was too common in, in the current period, there were so many accidents. Um, if, the, if something went wrong and it slipped off the pulley or if the cable broke and that thing fell, it could be several stories up loaded with bricks or whatever and could hurt someone or even take somebody's life, as did happen sometimes with these cases. So he was aware of this, and he thought there's got to be a better safety mechanism that you could put on this elevator. Now, other people had done some things, like um, softened the fall. We could have like a pillow system. <laughs> you could die on pillows. <laughs> um, soften the fall. If, if you have a, a second rope, for example, maybe a second rope, and if the elevator starts falling, the rope could catch it. Well, some of them had a long rope, but it was as long as the building. So it didn't catch it until the very bottom, and then it caught it before the floor, which didn't do much good, and sometimes it would even break. Uh, so there were a lot of different attempts of trying to soften or break the fall, and they weren't successful. And that's kind of where things were at um, as Elisha started to think about this. And one of the things he thought of was, well, instead of making a system that if an uh, elevator breaks and starts falling, it catches it down here, what if we stopped the elevator from falling completely? And so that's the idea that he started to pursue. And he started to remember back in his earlier years, one of the jobs he had had was working on wagons. And like in this picture here, there is a certain thing, uh, it's a leaf spring that they, they still use these on equipment today. And it's basically a shock or a spring that can take some of the bumps out of a bumpy road, for example. And so it's basically these metal plates stacked on top of each other, and they're arched. So when there's some pressure, they bounce up and down, and it can kind of take absorb some of that bouncing. He all of a sudden started thinking about that spring, and he thought, what if I used that in a contraption on the elevator? And he did something pretty ingenious. He took the, the spring part off a wagon, and he attached it to the top of the elevator compartment, and decided that the cable that lifts the elevator would come down and grab onto that spring. And when it grabs it, it bends. And if you imagine, like, look at this graphic here. If it grabs that and pulls, it flattens that spring out, okay? And that spring wants to spring back, okay? And what that is, is that's an example of now potential energy. When the weight of all that elevator uh, box is being held by that spring and the cable, it's bent, and it's, it's like if I had an, a bow and arrow, and I pull it back, oh, it's hard, oh, yeah, mm, and I hold it. Now there is potential energy until I let go. No, no cats were harmed. Until I let go, and now it's kinetic energy. 
So he's got this, this spring, and it's flat, and it's potential energy. If the cable is cut, all of a sudden it'll go back to that arch. And so he put these two arms underneath this spring with these groove things that stuck out. And then he put these metal teeth on the shaft of the elevator. And so he cut the cable, and the spring changed from potential to kinetic energy, and it shot those arms out, and they dug into the teeth on the side of the shaft. So the elevator, when he cut the cable, it fell a few inches, and it stopped. And it was just being held there by that spring. And he thought, this is an incredible way to keep, make elevators safe. We could actually haul people. This is that safe, because if anything happened, it would just stop the fall. So he started marketing this. Him and his sons put together a company. And if you, if you look on, on this picture, you can see that bow up at the top. That's where he has this spring. And it was an ingenious idea. But for months, they had no interest. Nobody was even interested in hearing about this, even though this could change everything in the way that we build buildings. So he heard about the World's Fair that was taking place in New York. So he went to the World's Fair, and they got a setup. And he built a four-story scaffold at the World's Fair with an open elevator. And he stood in the elevator. And he went up the elevator over everybody. And then he had a guy with an ax at the top cut the cable. And there were gasps and ahs as he started to fall a few inches. And then it stopped and caught it. And he repeated this every hour for new crowds. Can you imagine that job at a trade show? <laughs> we have a life-saving mechanism that works, and we can prove it. All right, Jimmy, get up there. <laughs> but he did it. He did it hour after hour. And after this, they had orders flooding in because all of a sudden people started to realize what a game changer this was. And all of a sudden, buildings started getting taller. And to this day, there have been zero deaths from a cable issue of a cable snapping or whatnot on modern elevators um, because of this safety. And of course, there's more safety functions now. But it's a very reliable system that he put together. So you know, you never know what you're going to find if you, you know, he worked on a wagon. And he knew about wagons. And then many, many years later, he would use that same knowledge and make something that would change the world. So always learn and keep storying. Thank you. And now, introducing Roger Billings. <laughs> Tornado season, and I'm by myself. <laughs> because we don't know where Roger Billings is. <laughs> he likes to make me feel like uh, I'm little. <laughs> so glad to see you here. <laughs> I told Tobias he could talk for as long as he wanted to. <laughs> you ready for that whirlwind to come back in? <laughs> That cold draft? <laughs> Is this my turn to talk about you? I have lots to say. <laughs> For real? Okay. I have a book. What do you have? You're so cold. 
Is it on degrees? <laughs> or is it so cold? In your, in your jacket? No, no, on the earth. Oh. <laughs> Not in here. It's pretty hot Don't in look. here. <laughs> Wonderful to see you. <laughs> really liking Did it. Did you know that uh, it's very cold? I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. It's a frozen planet. Zero degrees. That's the average temperature on Earth. Really? But for global warming. <laughs> oh. No, that's actually a scientific fact. If it wasn't for global warming, the average temperature on Earth would be zero degrees. Interesting. Yeah. Instead, it's just a little over 60 degrees. So Average. global warming's not bad. Well, <laughs> you know, we should talk about that. Okay. Do you remember when you were uh, sitting in a car, you had all the windows up and the sun was shining. Mm -hmm. It was a nice day outside, but inside the car it started to get very, very hot. And the temperature built up and built up and built up. Mm -hmm. That's the greenhouse effect. And the, the windows, if they were rolled down, Fresh air would come through and it'd be fine, but when it was all sealed up, it held in the temperature. Well, there's certain gases that hold in the heat that comes from the sun, and so the earth is warmer. And it turns out to be about 60 degrees warmer average. In other words, if it wasn't for greenhouse gases, we couldn't have life on planet Earth, except for very cold-hearted people. <laughs> Think about that. So the greenhouse gases are a good thing to a point. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, there's one greenhouse gas that seems to be getting a little bit out of control. And that happens to be carbon dioxide. Uh -huh. Do you know what the main greenhouse gas is? The one that contributes 75% of the, almost 75%, at least 70%, of the warmth retention on the planet? Do you know what it is? I don't know. But in your bottle of water? Water. Really? Water is the number one greenhouse gas. I didn't know. About 70% of the heat retention from the sun is by water vapor. The good news is water vapor is very well behaved it stays the same in the atmosphere, and, and so it's okay. But the next one is a molecule called carbon dioxide. And I am going to have to report that while we've been sitting here tonight, she's been breathing out carbon dioxide <laughs> right into the environment. Yep, I will. Yep. A lot of hot air, huh? <laughs> hot air is okay. It's the CO2 that concerns us. And you know, when you think about it, the cycle of carbon in the atmosphere, by the way, I brought a uh, carbon atom model. Okay. Actually, atoms are smaller than this normally. But a carbon atom 
is the atom that is in the so-called carbon cycle. When it becomes a gas, carbon is actually usually a solid. It's diamond, it's graphite. But when it becomes a gas, it reacts with oxygen. And of course, oxygen is part of our atmosphere, except it has a pretty insatiable appetite, so it wants two oxygens. Okay. And so these green atoms represent two oxygen atoms and the red one, the carbon. And there's a double bond here. And so CO2 goes flight, floating around through the air. We have a very small amount of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. We normally have about 400 parts per million parts of, it, of atmosphere. So it's, it's kind of a rare gas in the atmosphere. But this is the gas that all plants and, and all of the green things in the ocean, like the algae, uses food to be able to grow plants. So if you have sunlight energy and carbon dioxide, plants through a process called photosynthesis can turn this into plant and food. And it does it by pulling off the oxygens and then connecting it with hydrogens and other things to make plant matter and tomatoes and peas and carrots. I'm not sure about carrots. <laughs> so it's kind of an important cycle. But did you notice how this was a, I'm going to put this back together for us. This is a molecule that's kind of a straight molecule, CO2. The problem is that it does hold heat in the earth like a blanket, like the windows in the car that are rolled up. And the problem we have today is that we have more and more of this CO2 building up in the atmosphere. Enough so that we're gently raising the temperature on the Earth. And that starts to change our climate. And that's the thing that a lot of people are very concerned about mm -hmm. right now. They are. Do you mind if we talk about this a little bit? Let's do. We already are. Okay. <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning because there is something kind of neat here. We'll just kind of show this. So let's suppose that we have a carbon atom, which we do. This carbon atom could be a piece of coal, could be a piece of wood. You say, wait a minute, what's not black like carbon? But it is. Most of what's in wood is carbon, a little hydrogen, but it's, it's carbon. And when you put a wood in a fire, the wood reacts with air, with oxygen, and they attract each other. They want to be together. Carbon wants not only one oxygen, it wants two oxygens. And it forms a couple bonds, and so this is cre What? I was just reading some of the students' comments. Hey, we're trying to pay attention They said here. you were gone for too long. They missed you, and I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're back to your bonds. Thank you. Would you please stop putting out global warming gases? <laughs> nope. So when we have a plant turn this into food and we eat it, we then take it into our bodies, we digest it, and the carbon <laughs> is absorbed by our bodies. That's the fuel. It's the sugar that our, our cells use. And then we convert it into CO2, the same as a bonfire 
make CO2. It gives off energy, which is the heat of the fire. Our cells in our body burn carbon, not with such a big flame usually. And off comes the CO2, and that goes into our air. And the amount of carbon dioxide that you're breathing out, fortunately, is not destroying the whole planet. Thank you. I was worried and, about that. And it's that. not because you're not breathing out too much. It's because it's a big planet. Okay? But I want to talk to you about that car of yours. The white one? Yeah. My white car? Do you yeah, like it? the one that has the Peugeot license plate. Uh-huh. It is making a lot of carbon dioxide because every time the cylinder burns, Carbon dioxide is being formed. It's coming out the tailpipe. And with all the cars in the world, we're getting a lot of CO2 in the air because of this. And we're also making CO2, burning it to do other things like generate electricity and to make chemicals and so forth. And that is the problem. Enter the avocado. No, it looks like it doesn't. Apricot. Yeah, it's not avocado. Does it look like an apricot? You want to try it? Okay, <laughs> well, this represents the most perfect atom of them all. Let me guess. Um, hydrogen, right? Yes. <laughs> hydrogen. Oh, that was good. Hydrogen is the small, I made it very small, so you can see it's a very small atom, and it has just one proton and one electron. And when it sees oxygen, it gets pretty excited about it, too. I'm going to find my other oxygen. There we go. When it sees oxygen, it gets really excited like carbon does. Oxygen wants to combine with things. And one of the things it wants to combine with is hydrogen. When it combines with hydrogen, we say the hydrogen gets burned. Oxidation means burning. Look how we burn that hydrogen. Yeah, that's and when cool. this hydrogen connects with the oxygen... It goes off heat. That's why we see a flame. Except with hydrogen, it's hard to see the flame because it's invisible, but it gives off heat. And lo and behold, we now have a hydrogen oxygen atom. But the oxygen, it wants more than one hydrogen. And fortunately, it finds another one. And then you end up with Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and you all recognize that structure. Remember with the carbon dioxide that were in a row? Uh-huh. With hydrogen, it's like Mickey Mouse. And why? Why is it like that? Well, it's actually really good that it is. Because the property of pulling the hydrogens over to one side makes this a bipolar molecule. And that's how we get surface tension and a lot of other things are, are pretty important. If you put hydrogen in your car and burn it with air, like you do with gasoline or carbon, then the exhaust coming out of the tailpipe is water. And uh, that's a lot better than CO2. And that can prevent the buildup of greenhouse gases that are dangerous. It's interesting, when I first built the first hydrogen car and I took it to the science fair and then since then I built several others for many other companies and people. And we would exhibit them at the World's Fair and other places. People that would hear about it say, oh, when you burn it, it makes water? So that's going to make it rain all the time. 
<laughs> well, what do you tell them? Well, we need rain, don't we? <laughs> but it turns out that compared to the amount of water already in the air, the little bit we make in our hydrogen car is absolutely insignificant. So it's not going to change the climate. But if we eliminate putting CO2 in the air, then it will help keep the, the earth from getting, getting warmer. And there's concern that if the average temperature of the earth goes up even two degrees, that it's going to melt the polar snow caps, ice caps, and we're going to see the oceans rise, and we can see weather patterns change, and it could, it's a pretty serious thing. A lot of people are kind of worried about it. Hydrogen is such a perfect little atom. Don't you think it's good? Everybody should have a, a hydrogen car, I think. Don't you think? So is hydrogen your hobby? No, Celis is my hobby. <laughs> yeah. Actually, hydrogen has been uh, what I call my mission. It's been for a very, very long time since I was a student. Boy, I wish when I was in high school I had a solace. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I could have learned so many things. It could have really helped. But I'm so grateful that the great scientists of tomorrow have it. And you know, I have a little bit to tell you about a solace today. We have some news. Yeah. We just received word from the accreditation agency, WASC, that Acellus Academy has been reaccredited for six more years, which is really is wonderful. That is amazing. We're happy about it. Yeah. And at the same time, there is a group that is the, the leading group in looking at courseware on classes to see if they're rigorous to see if they teach the things that are in the standards, to see mm -hmm. if they teach them well, to see if, if they're fair and balanced and appropriate, uh, called Quality Matters. And they have approved two more of our courses, and they're going through all of them one by one. And they're making a lot of wonderful input that are helping us improve our sales course. So those are getting better and better and better and better. So six years, the longest that WASC accredit, I mean, gives the accreditation? We would have to ask an expert that. Where's our expert? Expert, expert. Is that, is that the longest they credited at the time? Yes. Yes. The answer so that's, is yes. That's, so it's that's good. That's a very it's good It's really thing. good news. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm very proud of every member of the team that helped make that possible. It's really, really a big deal. Hey, and hats off and kudos today for Microsoft. Did you, did you see what they've done? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they, they did something really good. I'll put my hat back on. They came out <laughs> with their very own Microsoft version of Writing Tutor. They did. Yeah, for they real. did. Looks and it's like identical ours. to a Solus Writing Tutor, <laughs> except they don't call it Writing Tutor. So trademark that. But anyway, <laughs> it even down to the part where you get the score, you know, and everything. It's, it's a good idea. And some, someone came out and said, so you're going to sue them? I said, No. And then, as someone put it, the best form of flattery is when they like you enough to copy you. But it, you know, they've got a good they idea there. Well. Don't know where they got it. <laughs> National but it's really wonderful that that's now available to everybody that's using Microsoft Classroom, and I think it's a good thing. In Acellus, we like to create new technologies, things that really work, and then we like people to copy them. Celis is a learning accelerator, and more and more people are 
creating learning accelerators, and they should. That means who doesn't want to learn faster and more and better? And so it's good that that's happening. And if I could put a cellus in the hands of every man, woman, and child on this earth, I would. And I think it would really improve and make their lives better. But I don't think that's going to be possible. So I'm going to try and do second best. I'm going to make it so good that every competing system copies us. <laughs> and then our good ideas will be in everybody's hands. Yeah, we'll but they won't have science live with you. Oh, they would with me. That's not the point. <laughs> How would they do that? I'm the easy part. No, no, no. I do have a question. Speaking though. of lives, okay, you have a question. Yes. And, and we're going to get to your to questions at the end of tonight's discussion. Okay. I'm ready to wait. You know I'm good at waiting. <laughs> I can wait. Do you know why this is funny? No. <laughs> I don't. I know why it's funny. She said she's going to ask this question. I said, when? That he did so ask. And she said, anytime you want. And he said, I didn't answer. Nope. He walked out the door. I'm loving this. Yeah, maybe we'll have time for it tonight. Okay. But it's interesting. We, we want to take a few minutes to welcome all of the new people joining us this week. Uh, last week, this week, we have a lot more people that are attending our, our lives program. We'd mm -hmm. like to welcome all of you here. We're expecting quite a few more weeks go forward. In fact, I think we had over a million people uh, watch last week, which is a lot more than we've ever had before. But uh, for those of you that are new, we'd just like to say hello. Uh, this is Dr. Peje Monet. Uh, she informed me that she is in charge. <laughs> and that, and that tornado that with true. the butterflies, that is me. that's some of the work of her people. Mm -hmm. well, that's actually how right? I go into rooms, I think. Okay. <laughs> so what we're doing Warning. is we're doing kind of a little lecture thing here. And uh, we do this every week. Uh, we, we've done it for about 100 weeks, which is, whew. First two weeks, I'd already told everything I knew, and she's taken over from there and filled in, right? But uh, out of those 100 weeks, we have quite a few people that have watched most of them, and we want to thank you guys for that. But the idea behind this is, we wanted to get more students to be able to be in our Ocellus Academy courses. And, you know, it's expensive to put on these courses. And so some of the people wondered if there was any way we could create a scholarship program. And so we decided, yes, there's got to be a way. But the idea was that if we are going to provide a scholarship, we would really like people to really be serious about it and use it. In other words, I love helping people if it's really helping them, but I don't want to just waste resources. So I came up with this idea. I would create a mentoring program. And a mentoring program would be where I would try to put out, put out, yeah, I was going to try to put out information, <laughs> let me finish, that would really be helpful and motivational to students to help them in their careers. Now, I was fortunate in that in my early career, uh, there was a guy named Bill Lear that decided that he wanted to mentor a student. And uh, Bill Lear, of course, was and is famous for inventing the Learjet. And, and several aviation radios and other things. has a lot of patents. But Bill Lear was mentored 
early in his life by Thomas Edison. And this was at a time when Thomas Edison was about my age, and Bill Lair came along, and he was a, a young little leather snapper, and about the age I was when I met Bill Lair. And Thomas Edison helped Bill Lair get on his way. Bill Lair back then was designing radios. Radios. Radios were pretty new, and they were kind of catching on, and a lot of companies wanted to make radios, and everybody was trying to make a better radio receiver. And so Bill Lair was designing radios, but he was having a hard time making enough money to pay his bills and buy food. And that's where Thomas Edison came in, and he kind of taught <clears throat> Bill Lair the ropes on how to use his science and technology to make a living and to be successful. And sure enough, he was. Now, Bill Lear uh, made a real interesting innovation. And it's interesting, he got himself expelled from school Whoops. doing it. Interesting story. The radio was new, and he was taking an uh, electronics course. And the teacher was teaching people how a radio works. And you see, a radio has a radio coil, big coil of wire, and the radio waves come pass this coil, and the coil absorbs the energy, and they rectify that, and that's how they capture the sound transmitted by the radio station. Well, the teacher explained that the radio's got to be the right size so that it will resonate in tune, and uh, you can't make it smaller than Bill Lear said, yes, you can. Bill Lear uh, didn't have very much schooling. He hadn't even graduated from high school, but he did have an opinion on how big a radio coil needed to be. And uh, he, was, he was pretty good at expressing his opinions. It doesn't have to be that big. And the teacher said, what? And they got in an argument right in the class. And I wasn't there. <laughs> but I do know that Bill Lair ended up getting expelled from school for being disrespectful to the teacher. And knowing him a little bit like I do, I can kind of imagine where that went. He had a lot of very strong opinions, but he got kicked out. And he went home in a huff, and he got a pencil, and he made a coil, hooked it up to a radio, made it work, took it back to school, and showed it to the teacher. If you can't do it, then why is it working? And you know, you teachers, that's really embarrassing when your students do that, isn't it? <laughs> it's just really embarrassing. The teacher looked at it, and guess what? Out of that little coil, they started to realize they could make a radio not this big like everyone thought, but you could make a little one, small enough you could put it in the dash of a car. Just think. And so they did. They made a radio to go in a car. What a great idea. And they called it motor radio because, you know, motor car. And it became Motorola. And our very own little builder did that. Well, he's the guy that came and said, hey, Raj, I'm looking for someone to be my protege. Now, I think protege is one of those fancy French words, mm -hmm. right? Yes. But I don't speak French, so I, what? <laughs> and the vice president of my university, where I was just finishing my studies, who was introducing me to Bill Lair, says he's looking for someone that he would mentor. And I've, I've been going to school for a long time. I'd had five majors, 
and I'd been there five years, summer school, Christmas break, I'd just done it all, and I was ready to go get a job. I was tired of having a hungry family that couldn't afford meat. And so, lo and, I tell you the meat stories. I tell them the meat stories. <laughs> yeah, we used to uh, think that it's good to eat meat at least once a week, and we couldn't afford it because I was a student forever. And so, lo and behold, we had our, our little one, and on Sunday, we thought, Sunday is meat day. <laughs> and we'd watch the clock because we knew exactly what time our parents, her parents, my parents, got home from church. We'd watch, watch, watch. Ready, ready, call, call. Hi, Mom. Oh, we're fine. How are you doing? Yeah, well, we're just getting, I think I'll go make something for lunch. Oh, really? Well, let me, do you want to go have lunch with? <laughs> That's how you get meat, just in case you guys don't know that. <laughs> and it worked. And, and if you have two sets of parents like we did, you can alternate. <laughs> Doesn't put too much burden. Remember, this is a true story, isn't it? But anyway, the point is that uh, I was ready to have some income. I wanted a job now. I'd studied. I wanted to go to work. And so... When they explained to me that he's looking for a protege and, and they made it clear that maybe, maybe I was a candidate, I said to Mr. Lear, so how much does it pay? <laughs> and he never let me live that down. <laughs> never, ever, ever did. And his answer was, was really interesting to me. Uh, how would you answer that? If you're, later he explained that when he had tried to pay Thomas Edison in gratitude for what he had done, helping him start his company and everything, that Edison said, if you want to pay me back, you help someone else. You know, the old pass it on kind of thing. And he says, I'm an old man, and I'm finally repaying the man that helped me so much. And he says, if you someday want to pay me back, then you help someone. And here I am. I'm looking for someone to mentor. <laughs> And that's the whole idea of this program, and that's why we do it every week, is so that maybe someone will get inspired or get some ideas. And, you know, one of the biggest things I got from Bill Lear was the self-confidence to be able to dare try some of these things. And whatever it is that I can pass on, I want to. Well, would he be surprised that I actually try to pass it on to more than one person? I think you'd be shocked if he knew how many. And that's the thing we're doing now. We're expanding the number of students we're going to have in the, in the tutoring program, which is where I help pay some of the tuition. But I request that the students in the program spend this hour with Dr. Peget and I. And during the hour, I hope that I am going to modify your attitude and thinking about the, valuable of, the value of education. Knowledge is power, and I want you all powered up. Hydrogen powers an engine. Knowledge powers your career and your future, and I think it's a very important thing, and that's the mission. And I also try to do it by uh, showing you my hydrogen, burnt hydrogen water. And uh, in the next few weeks, I want to get into hydrogen a little bit because there's some very interesting things that I have to show. And I want to kind of inter introduce it tonight but I'm hoping that in the weeks ahead that I can take you over to my hydrogen research laboratories. And I have a lot of stuff to show you there, and I want to go through it step by step. 
And when we're done, uh, you'll all be hydrogen energy experts, which is a very, yes, you may ask a question. <laughs> Did you see that look she gave me? <laughs> there's patience and then there's no more. Okay, yes, go ahead. Floor is yours. So the students and I. We'll blame the students now. Uh -huh. Yes, the students. Yes, the students mm -hmm. and I want to know why Time Magazine called you um, Dr. Hydrogen. Right here. Well, article. that's a very easy Society question to answer. Dreams. You know, a few years ago, I got called by a reporter at Time Magazine. He said he's doing a big story on hydrogen energy. And um, I'm, I was busy doing a Cellus and Gold Keen, some of my projects, and I didn't really want to have a lot of press. And so I told him all the other people that are working on it, and I thought, ah, he's off my back. <laughs> but as it turns out, most of the atoms in my body are hydrogen. That's true. And so that makes me the hydrogen guy. <laughs> That's why they call you Dr. Yeah, hydrogen? because I have a lot of hydrogen in me. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's it. All of us do. We're <laughs> yeah, all hydrogen they don't guys. call everybody yeah. Dr. Anyway, uh, can, we, can we get back on the point here? The, did you get your question asked? I got it asked, but I don't feel like I really got it answered. Okay, well... I have come come to all of our lectures, and we'll just keep filling you in on it till you get till you get it figured out. Okay. Okay. That was a pretty good answer. I'll come to all of them. So anyway, <laughs> we do the lectures, and people that are in the mentoring program uh, cooperate, and I'm so thankful <laughs> that you come back and come back and come back because I think you're going to find that there is some real science that is sleek, sneaking into your brains and that some of this science is going to empower you to do things. People are starting to understand how a speaker works and understanding frequencies. Now we're going to understand molecules and little rubber balls called hydrogen. Uh, in fact, I, I have a hydrogen book. Did you bring it for me? Should have. I have a hydrogen book, which I wrote several years ago, that told about my, all of my early work and research in hydrogen. And uh, <laughs> you know, while she's gone, <laughs> this is a chance to tell you some things I want to say. She's a nut. <laughs> yeah, OK. So this little book is called The Hydrogen Worldview. And what I try to do is I try a little bit what we do in these discussions. I tell what I did and how I did it, and I try to write it so it starts out on a basic level, and then as you read each chapter, I get in a little deeper and a little deeper, so at the end of the chapter, someone even that has a little bit of technical background maybe can get some answers to things. But uh, we have um, a bunch of students that have been faithfully, faithfully, faithfully watching our you should come back, everyone, straight up. <laughs> I know that look anywhere. <laughs> I don't this know what you said. This is my well-behaved look. Oh, what have you got? I have a couple of books. Oh, a book. I don't know if this can be seen. This is the book I was talking about. And if you can see that picture there, this is what I call the Moses picture. <laughs> you see that beard? Yeah. Um, the makeup department put that on for me. No, actually. <laughs> I really did do that. But 
the hydrogen worldview. So this book was written to kind of tell some of these stories, and it has some pictures of some of the projects we're going to be talking about. But a lot of parents uh, were checking in with me, and they said, how do we make sure that you know that we watched? And we didn't have a way. <laughs> so the guys, the tech guys, created a way to monitor who was watching and to keep a record. And they started doing that about 100 lectures ago. We've actually done, oh, I think almost 200. But it's 100 since we started keeping a record. And it turns out that since we started that record keeping, we have a bunch of guys that have watched more of these lectures than anybody else. We do. And I decided that all of those guys, I'm going to send a hydrogen book to. Yay. Just because I'm so proud of them. Except one of them, I'm not going to send a hydrogen book to. I'm going to send this hydrogen book to. Now, guess what? This is the same book, except this is the hardcover version. Mm -hmm. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to sign all these books because I want to wish you guys really, really good luck. And just in case you're wondering if you're one of the guys that has watched the most of these Science Live lectures... Should we read their names? Wouldn't that be fun? Mm -hmm. Ready, set? Ready, set. Okay, so Elijah Sampson was the one who watched the most out of everybody. So Elijah gets this one, right? Yeah. Okay, now Elijah, I'm sure you're with us tonight. Would you please text me the address where you want this shipped so we ship it to the right, right guy? Okay? He's watched 69. We, yeah, you have watched 69 lectures since we started counting. I hope they've been beneficial to you. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any critiques, suggestions, <laughs> good or, or edgy or accurate, <laughs> um, please put them in there too because I will be looking at these carefully to get good ideas. So 67 is the guy that's done 69. most. 69. 69. Ooh, it's going up. Yeah. Going Two up in one minute. Tonight. Okay. Well. okay. Who else? Um, 68. So Muhammad Shah. And Raymond James Sacrin, three. And they have both done... 68. 68. Uh -huh. Okay, that's good. And so I'm going to send them this book signed. From Dr. Peje <laughs> Ask them if they want no. you to sign it, too. No, they don't want me to sign it. Just, okay. just tell them to say if they want Dr. Peje to <laughs> sign it. You don't have to say, but you could if you really you want to. You could if you really want to. Okay, wants. was there anyone else? Yes. How about 67? Uh, 67, Daniel Gomez, Lucas Richardson... Belink Caracas, Sage Sousa, Adriana Thompson, Marianne Richard. Wow. 66, Austin Moon. There's a whole mob of 67s, aren't there? Yeah. Okay, keep going. 65, Charles Urban, Noah Hampton, Wisdom, Jedediah, Monion. Bingo! No, <laughs> it's wrong game. <laughs> okay. 63. <laughs> What's that last, I think I kind of... That was Wisdom, Jedediah, Monion. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then 63, Ryan Bardwash, Stephen Mills, Job Schaefer, Isra Shah, Ali Mikhail Andre Arias, Matthew Guevara, Valor Puma. Okay. And then? We're going to go clear down to 60, okay? Okay. 62, Evan Mark, 61, Braylon Wright, Stephen Anderson, Brandon Burke, Kevant Scott, Aiden Craven, Aiden Richard. And 60, Levi Eason. Alexander McKelvey, Faith Brown, Camden Lee, Reuben McCabe, 
I'm Rob Onge and London Johnson. What if they couldn't hear that? That was okay. Okay, that was okay. <laughs> By the way, we're going to do a little thing so that on, on your neighbor's account, we're going to give you a little badge of honor of how many times you've watched. How fun. Why so they not? can earn stars and badges. Oh, yeah, they can earn it. And they can get books, okay? How fun. And for those of you that are just starting out, I just want to congratulate you on having won. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you, the first one's the hardest. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is the hardest. Very We've hard. been told that Absolutely. many times. Absolutely, the first one's the hardest. But uh, I love the idea of investing in ourselves. And we could buy ourselves a, a new coat, a new shirt, a new outfit, or we could accumulate knowledge. And it will then come back and buy a lot of things for you. Did you ever think that by getting your education, by earning your high school diploma, by graduating, and by doing really well in your courses, that it will change the amount of money you will make in your lifetime? and the way you can take care of, of your friends, your family, and, and things you can do. The investment you make in yourself is one of the very, very best investments you can make. And knowledge really, really is power. I had a chance talking yesterday to uh, one of the wonderful mothers of one of our students that's just graduating. And uh, this guy's been with us for a few years and he's, um, he has not wasted his enrollment with Acellus. He's actually taken some of our really advanced courses. He's taking calculus, and he's taking physics, AP physics with calculus. These are some of the more advanced courses that we offer. In fact, both those courses can be used for college credit. And next year, he's going to be going into the university, and I was very pleased to hear from his mother that he earned a very good scholarship and uh, has very good grades on Acellus and he's taken some very good classes. They really like seeing a student that has taken some of these advanced classes and done well on them. But the, the reason she was calling me was not because uh, uh, it's all roses and flowers, but she was concerned because he was just finishing up uh, and was taking AP physics with calculus and was having a hard time mastering the material. And she was concerned that that would be the case. Yeah. And I like feedback. I, I love a pat on the back. Everybody does. But sometimes the most valuable feedback is the kind where it's not all positive. There's something wrong. Something needs to be fixed. And when you have that kind of feedback, I really appreciate it. And she knew that, so she called and told me, I don't know about this AP physics class. Uh, he doesn't seem to feel like he really has ma is mastering that material. And that was really interesting to me because when I took physics with calculus, and, and physics-based, or excuse me, calculus-based physics, this is the physics course where they use calculus in the examples and the problems, I had a very hard time trying to put it all together myself. And what I did is I enrolled in calculus and physics at the same time. 
And as I was getting into calculus, and they were teaching us about limits and how you can get a derivative and how you can do an integral and some of those things, I just learning about it in physics, we're already using it. And I wasn't ready. And I really think that it's wise if you get the, some of the calculus under your belt before you jump into the physics. I have often said that I wish everybody in the world could see the beautiful sunset, which is the view you see when you study physics and you understand calculus. You can't see it without the calculus. Now, there's a, there's a physics course that doesn't require calculus. It's more of an algebra-based physics, and it's interesting. But when you get into the physics with calculus, which I would call the real physics, calculus uh, is, is an amazing mathematical tool and language. And when you start seeing, for example, Newton's laws of motion, and you see how the derivative is this and the second derivative is that, it, it's like seeing all the colors of a beautiful sunset. It's me choked up. <laughs> but it is that neat. And, and one of the, the goals that I've had this last few months I've been thinking about, how could we let people that don't really have time to learn calculus at least learn enough to appreciate this? And it's kind of hard uh, without understanding the language of science, which is math. It's hard to do things. If, if we don't have the tool of calculus, or at least some equivalent, and I don't know what that would be, you, you can't do engineering, you can't do physics, you can't do chemistry, you can't do a lot of these technical things, and the same is true over in statistics and business and so forth. These technologies that we're teaching are powerful, and I struggle to learn calculus. One day I went home and I announced to my father, uh, I've made a... a Life-changing decision today. What was that? I decided to drop out of college. <laughs> Why? And I said, because I'm taking calculus and I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm just wasting time and money. I'm going to drop out. And my rather wise father, who used to enjoy saying, I wish all my problems in life had come when I was 18 and still knew everything. <laughs> but uh, he said, now... I've seen you get through things harder than this. And he really encouraged me to persevere. And I'm so glad I did. It's hard. There's, these concepts are hard to get used to. When you take a limit and all of a sudden you jump to infinity, I was still back at reality. <laughs> it, just, it, was, it was hard to do. But eventually, if you persevere, you get it. So, knowledge is power. Study hard. Learn. And then enjoy life in full color like a beautiful sunset. Thank you. And thank you, Dr. Money. Did you get all your questions answered, Dr. Agent? I think it's because I made the first hydrogen car and, and I love the hydrogen molecule and I don't know. I didn't tell them. Where are we going to announce the science fair project that's on people's minds? That's on people's minds. I have to say, I've been looking at science fair projects. I've never had so much fun. 
They're good this year. Uh, they are off yeah, scale this year. And, and guys that are just tiny, no. <laughs> amazing jobs. Wow. Well, my hypothesis, and then they're just, <laughs> and the double helix, you know, staying in, it's really fun. So uh, our judges are going to be really, really busy. And I just want to congratulate everyone that entered. And those of you that are already on your second week of next year's Science Fair project, persevere. It's going to be worth it. But uh, these projects have really taught people a lot of science and more, and I hope you'll all do it. As far as when we're going to announce them, I wonder if we want to ask who, John Thomas or Joshua? <laughs> uh, we, we are a little bit overwhelmed in, in going through these. One of the things I am going to do, though, is I'm going to show excerpts of the science fair projects in our upcoming lectures. So if you want to see some really neat scientists, you need to, to stay tuned because they're coming. Also plan to put a special thing on neighbors. And by the way, it's exciting that neighbors is settling down a little bit. I want to thank everybody for realizing that that's how it works. And I do have another idea if you want to weigh in on it. I'd like to hear your thoughts, but I'm thinking about giving uh, positivity stars out. What if you have a contact with someone and whenever that you do, you have the ability to give them a positivity star, one through five? I like that. Now, it gets a little bit more interesting okay. because if you give them like a three and then you get to know them better and they become more positive, then you can change it to a four. Each person only gets one vote from one person, but the person can change their vote. Okay. And if you think about it, that's kind of, kind of my plan. But the idea is that some of the parents that are a little concerned, want to put their kids in, want to be careful, they'll be able to set. Uh, the only ones that can message my kids are the ones with three stars or more. That's, that's smart. Now think about it for a minute. The whole idea of, of neighbors is to be neighbors and is mm -hmm. to be positive. Yes, we all have something we can be negative about, and sometimes we need to express our opinions. But we need to learn how to express our opinions in a respectful way. Yeah. And I think we've made a huge stride in the last week on doing that, and I want to thank everybody that has, has done that and we'll continue to do it. You do notice that we do have the multiple institutions communicating, mm -hmm. and that's cooking, and it's gonna get better and better. But what will happen when we have an environment where a lot of people can really uh, communicate, and we do have the writing tutor in there now so that you are able to make sure that you're learning while you're writing, and I think developing the skills of communication are very important. The whole idea of language arts is to give you the ability to share ideas and to communicate and to influence each other. And let's make all of our influences be things that lift each other in a positive way. Okay, I'm trying to change the Earth's orbit with positivity. <laughs> like hydrogen, you know, lifts. Hydrogen balloons lift. We should do what a else? hydrogen balloon experiment, the one that got you going. You mean the explosion? Uh-huh. Let's do that. Maybe maybe for the 4th of July? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. We they should do that. They want to know if we're having um, science live lectures during the summer. Um, 
I thought we were. You thought we were? <laughs> yeah. She thought we were. That's as good as deciding. Is yeah, I am. Oh, good. I'm going to go for it, and okay. I hope you will too, yeah. okay? Because we've got guys that want to earn. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get prizes for tenants. Have fun. I love prices. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you next time. <laughs>